All right, everyone, I have Dr. Katie Takis here with me today. She practices in Colorado, just a little bit north of Denver, and she is going to share so much information with you guys. I am really excited um, to have a colleague on the show and for you to learn from her. So just know that if you are still in the thick of it, if you are still dealing with heavy, heavy grief, It's a very different episode than we normally record, but it has so much information. It's really, really valuable, but I just want to make sure that you guys are ready to receive it. Just know you don't have to listen to it right now. You can always come back and get the information at a later date. Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. I need your help. Let's take this community to the next level. Here's what you can do. Number one, if you like this podcast, please hit pause and take a few seconds to rate it on iTunes. Number two, donate through our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Number three, share your story. Go to calendly.com slash Melissa Whitman to schedule a time to chat with me. Or, number four, join our Patreon page for over 30 more episodes you can't find anywhere else as well as exclusive content. Patreon.com slash miscarriage. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash miscarriage. All the details are linked in the show notes. Enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. Dr. Katie, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast today and to share some of my experience with you all. So a little bit about me. I practice a little bit north of Denver in a small town called Berthoud, Colorado. I practice at Gateway Natural Medicine. My main focus in practice is working with women and women's health. So I see a lot of patients ranging anywhere from teenagers that have issues with their menstrual cycles to women maybe in their 60s or 70s that have been through menopause but are still having some of the negative effects that we associate with menopause, like hot flashes, um, things like that. I also see a lot of women that have issues with fertility. Um, Maybe they aren't having regular periods. Maybe they're having some issues after coming off of birth control. Um, Or maybe they're having a hard time getting pregnant without knowing why. So these are some of the patients that I typically work with in my practice. So talk to us a little bit about coming off birth control because that's a really common thing and it's often glossed over by the primary care provider. Yes. So one thing that I see with birth control frequently is that the people that are using or the women that are using it aren't always aware of what it's actually doing to their body. Um, So there's a lot of things that I look at with the menstrual cycle when we're talking about what's normal and what's abnormal. So at the beginning of our menstrual cycle, it's dominated primarily by estradiol or one of our estrogens. The second half of our cycle is dominated primarily by progesterone. Progesterone helps to kind of offset the strong effects that estrogen may have on our body, and these two hormones kind of help to balance each other. When we're on the birth control pill, the pill works to keep our hormone levels at the same rate pretty much the entire month. The reason it does that is it's trying to kind of trick our body into thinking that we're pregnant. So in that first half of that menstrual cycle, we typically see this spike in estrogen that occurs right before ovulation. That spike in estrogen is what triggers ovulation to occur. 
Once ovulation occurs, estrogen levels then drop and we start to see progesterone levels come up. Now, when you're taking the pill, the pill is giving you a steady amount of hormones the entire month. So we're never seeing that spike in estrogen that we would see outside of the pill. When we're not seeing that spike in estrogen, then that's not telling the brain to ovulate. So ovulation isn't occurring. So when you are on the birth, con when you are on birth control pill, you are not truly ovulating and you're not truly having a period. What the bleeding is that comes from the, after taking the uh, sugar pills is since you're no longer taking hormones, your body thinks, okay, I'm not actually pregnant. And that's when the bleeding occurs. So this isn't a true period bleed. It's just the fact that we're removing the hormones from the body and that's prompting the bleeding to occur. So then what do you look for when a patient comes to you who has had a miscarriage? Because you're, you'll ask, you know, were you on the pill? How long were you on it? And then I'm assuming you're looking at their hormone levels. Correct. So there's a number of things to consider um, when we're talking about miscarriages. Let me kind of go back to your question about the birth control pill again. So oftentimes there's also side or there's effects that come from taking the birth control pill. It can deplete you of essential vitamins like your B vitamins. Um, there's lots of research that has shown that B vitamins are depleted by taking um, the birth control pill, IUD, any form of birth control like that. Um, and there's other things that can also be depleted from your body by taking these pills. So one thing that can make it really difficult is if you don't have the proper uh, nutrients available, whether that's B vitamins or other vitamins or minerals, it can make it really hard for your body to go through these metabolic processes that it needs to properly create your hormones. Maybe that is because your thyroid isn't functioning properly because you don't have enough B vitamins to create the um, hormones that you need for that. And then that eventually could lead to some issues with your sex hormone production. Um, so I kind of see what we call this uh, post-birth control syndrome, sometimes where women will come off of the pill and then they're not even getting their periods back once they're coming off of the pill. Um, the reason this could be is their body's kind of been tricked for so long of not actually having a period or not actually ovulating that when they come off of these hormones, their body has a difficult time producing the hormones on its own. So if we have a patient that comes in that is struggling or that has had a miscarriage, the first place I like to start is how many miscarriages have you had? You know, is this the first time this has happened to you? Has this happened to you several times? The reason I ask that is to try and figure out if you've already had a healthy pregnancy before and now you're having a miscarriage, what changed with those two pregnancies? You know, what changed with your health prior to those two pregnancies? If this is your first pregnancy and you're miscarrying, um, I also ask a lot of questions too. How long were you on the pill for? Have you had your thyroid levels checked? Does anyone else in your family have issues with fertility? Have you ever been diagnosed with endometriosis, PCOS, um, or any type of other, um, or, or any type of STD? Um, so there's a number of, kind of, that's how I would start the process of working with someone that has had miscarriages in the past. So something I feel like often isn't touched on, but I have read in research is the impact of STDs on miscarriage. Can you speak to that at all from what you've seen? Yeah, so uh, different STDs can sometimes lead to what's called pelvic inflammatory disease, um, and that can create a lot of inflammation, of course, within the, within the pelvic region. So this can make it difficult for women to become pregnant if there's a lot of inflammation in that area. Um, the reason that this inflammation can make it difficult to become pregnant is if the, if the pelvic region or the uterus and those organs aren't healthy and aren't in a state where they're ready to accept a pregnancy, then that can make it difficult for one, the 
um, embryo to attach and two, for it to actually continue to develop. And that can kind of be hidden for, you know, like the, the inflammation is there's not really an overt thing that a primary care provider would be looking for, correct? Correct. And another thing that I've uh, recently been seeing in clinic is not only STDs or infections associated with the pelvic region, but we're also seeing a lot of issues with the gastrointestinal tract or a lot yes. of infections that are kind of within the, within the GI tract. Um, yes. What, how that can kind of affect the menstrual or how that can affect the reproductive system is let's say that you have some sort of uh, gut in your, or excuse me, bacteria in your gut that's creating some sort of issue. Maybe this is causing you to have diarrhea, constipation, bloating, um, gas, or just irregularities in your bowels to begin with. Um, some people have a lot of nausea or heartburn. Um, so it kind of depends. It's, it's hard because the symptoms aren't always very specific to, depending on what the infection is. But what can happen is if your body has this infection, your immune system's trying to fight this infection off, what happens is when we when our immune system gets triggered to fight an infection, it also responds by creating inflammatory cytokines. What those are, those are inflammatory cells that communicate to each other and they go throughout the body to try and create inflammation. The reason our body tries to create inflammation is, is as a protective mechanism to begin with. It's the long-term inflammation that leads to a lot of these chronic issues. So if we're seeing a chronic infection in the gut, that's causing a lot of chronic in inflammation. And that inflammation doesn't just stay isolated to the gut. It can get into the bloodstream and travel throughout the body. And unfortunately, we're starting to see this inflammation affect women's um, fertility and their ability to carry a baby. Yes. I read an article, oh, maybe a year ago about how sometimes infertility or miscarriage is the, one of the first signs of an undiagnosed food sensitivity and gut issues that they might not be having the typical stomach aches or diarrhea. Correct. So with food sensitivities, how they're, how they kind of differ from food allergies. And I like to make a point of this because they're very different in how they work. Um, when we're talking about um, sensitivities and food allergies. A few things that you'll commonly hear people refer to are immunoglobulins. And we have four that we uh, talk about a lot in the body, and that's immunoglobulin G, A, M, and E. Now, when we're talking about an allergic reaction, um, this would be kind of your case of there's a child that's allergic to peanuts, they eat peanuts, their throat starts to swell up, they kind of go into like an anaphylactic shock. That would be considered an IgE type reaction or a very sudden, very quick reaction. Um, when we're looking at food sensitivities, I like to look at IgG and IgA. Now, IgA is something that's produced primarily in mucous membranes of the body. So this would be places like um, the vaginal canal. This would be places like the gut, um, your lungs, your throat, your mouth, your eyes, anywhere in the body that we produce mucus. So when we're looking at food sensitivities or we're looking at these reactions to foods, the difficult part with sensitivities is the symptoms don't always show up as immediate as they would with an IgE or an allergic reaction. Symptoms with food sensitivities may take anywhere from 48 to 72 hours to show up, which makes it really difficult to pinpoint what caused your symptom that you're having. Was it something you ate three days ago or was it something that you had last night? 
um, and how this inflammation can also affect the body as a whole and not just the gut is if we're starting to see um, food sensitivities show up, that typically tells me that there's something going on in the gut that's making you react to foods that you haven't reacted to in the past. Because most of the time when I see people, they say, oh my gosh, I've eaten eggs my whole life. Now how come all of a sudden I'm having these issues? And it's not that they just randomly developed a sensitivity to eggs, but it's likely because their gut is in a compromised state that their body is starting to react to all the foods that they're eating. So this inflammation or this inflammatory response that we see in the GI tract, again, like I said, if there's an infection, those, those inflammatory cytokines can travel throughout the body. Um, food sensitivities can cause things like headaches, fatigue. I've even seen it contribute to anxiety and depression, difficulty concentrating, um, like you said, issues with women having fertility issues or issues with their menstrual cycles. So it's not very specific with what the types of symptoms would be. It shows up in everybody different. So that is why it's sometimes challenging to pinpoint what sensitivities are outside of testing. Well, and why it's so important when you, I mean, I, of course, advocate for everyone to have care like this, but especially when you are having issues or having miscarriage um, or recurring miscarriage to address the whole body. And, you know, I know you and I are on the same page about that. (laughs) Absolutely. So when a patient, so we talked about when a patient comes to you, what do you look for? But what is, you know, they sit down in front of you and they're telling you, okay, I've had one miscarriage or multiple miscarriages, whatever it is. What is the first test that you say, okay, this is probably what we're going to do it. Do you go to thyroid first? Do you go to a organic acids test? Do you go to stool test? What is usually your go-to? So it does vary a little bit uh, patient to patient, of course, because everyone has different presentations, but kind of the general or the the broad ones that I would say I look for in everybody or every female would be um, looking at their hormone production. So the gold standard of looking at your hormones is looking at it in the blood. Um, however, in the functional medicine world, we use we use testing with urine to look at the hormones, and this is a little bit different than traditional medicine. The reason that we look at the urine tests that look at the hormones is because there's a number of there's a number of reasons why. So, as your body has to process your sex hormones, your thyroid hormones, um, caffeine, Tylenol, anything else that you're taking. All of those things have to go through the liver to be properly metabolized and then detoxified from the body. So for that detoxification to occur, those things are excreted either via the feces or the urine. So if we have hormones that are being processed by the liver, not only can I see the hormones, what they look like in the body, but we can kind of see the byproducts or what we call the metabolites or the breakdown of these hormones after they've went through the liver. So this can help me to see, okay, not only are are we seeing that your progesterone is high, but we're seeing that your metabolites are, you know, really low. This tells me there's some sort of conversion issue between getting your, getting your estrogens broken down. Um, I can also look at your progesterone and see, okay, are you producing adequate amounts of progesterone metabolites or is all of your progesterone getting converted somewhere else down the line? Um, So that's why I like to use that test because it helps me to see not only how your body's producing your hormones, but how well it's uh, metabolizing and detoxifying them. Um, With that being said, since I talked about how important it is to see what goes through the liver and our thyroid hormones also go through the liver, I do look at thyroid hormones when we are assessing for fertility as well. Um, Sometimes I see that the menstrual 
correcting menstrual irregularities improves the thyroid. Sometimes improving thyroid health improves the menstrual cycle. So it's kind of a, it, it's, it depends on the female, but sometimes those, those issues tend to come together. For the thyroid test, mm-hmm. what do you usually do? You so do when we're looking blood we're test? Lo- yeah, blood test for the thyroid. Yeah. So when we're looking at the thyroid, um, t- commonly in traditional medicine, we'll always see TSA TRAN. And yeah. just to give you a little bit of information on what some of these labs mean is TSH is your brain's way of communicating to the thyroid. It's thyroid-stimulating hormone. So it's literally stimulating your th- thyroid to produce the hormones that it needs. Your thyroid will then produce T4, and T4 will eventually get converted into T3. Now, reverse, or excuse me, T4 and T3, as those levels either go up or down, that sends a signal back to the brain saying, hey, we need more thyroid hormones or we need less thyroid hormones. And in response to that, TSH either increases or decreases. So they kind of work as a check and balance system to each other. Now, when you're looking at what the most important markers are when we're assessing thyroid function, it's important to understand why we look at T4 and T3 and TSH. So T4 gets converted into T3 peripherally, or what that means is it occurs outside of the thyroid. So the majority of our receptor sites for this conversion are in the gut, the liver, and the brain. We even have some receptors in our hair, and that's why um, we're starting to, that's why we see the connection of hair loss with low thyroid function. But um, so anyways, that's why we're looking at T4 and T3. Now, T3 is the most active thyroid hormone. So this is what's actually giving action to our body. This is what helps to regulate our metabolism and helps with a lot of different metabolic uh, processes in our body. There's another marker that we don't often hear about as often, and this one is called reverse T3. So this is the inactive form of T3, and it has zero action on the body. We are not really sure what, it, what its purpose is yet. It's something that's still being researched, but it binds to the same receptor sites as T3, and it binds more efficiently. And since this, this uh, reverse T3 doesn't really do anything to the body, if we're all of a sudden seeing too much of our T4 conversion into this reverse T3, that can make our thyroid function decrease significantly. Um, And I see this oftentimes in women that have had miscarriages or that are struggling with fertility will oftentimes see their reverse T3 very, very high, um, and we'll see their free T3 or their T3 a little bit on the lower end. So interesting. Yes, 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 yes. So interesting. So usually the blood panel um, that I am familiar with and I'm curious if this is the same for you that I would recommend to make sure someone does. It's not just the TSH. Do the TSH, the um, free T4, free T3, reverse T3, and then do the thyroid peroxidase antibodies and the thyroglobulin antibodies. Is that something that you do as well? Yes, I typically look at those ones as well because uh, the thyroglobulin antibody and the uh, thyroid peroxidase are what look for the Hash- or look, what look for Hashimoto's. Yeah. So I and that is one of the most undi- most commonly undiagnosed things that I've seen come into my practice so far. A lot of women, maybe some of these women have known that they've had thyroid issues their whole life, but not have ever been tested for Hashimoto's. Right. Um, which mm-hmm. is pretty significant when we're talking about fertility, especially in women. Uh, and so treatment. For, yeah, exactly. Different. Yeah. Um, 
so one of my patients that I've had, uh, she came to me with endometriosis. Her and her husband tried having children um, a long time ago, but they were never able to get pregnant. And she always believes it was because of her endometriosis. So they kind of just accepted that they weren't going to be able to have children. And she found me later on in her life. So I started working with her and we found out that she had Hashimoto's. She never, she didn't know that before. So after we corrected her thyroid, got her on some um, hormonal support, she had a lot of estrogen. Um, we actually got her to a pain-free, she has zero pain now, her, she has zero pain with her menstrual cycles. We can see the changes occur just from working with the thyroid and how yes. big of an impact that can have on fertility. Well, and making sure that you are seeing the whole picture because checking TSH is not checking the thyroid. Correct. It's not complete enough. Okay. So all of you listening, follow through with that. (laughs) Okay. So we talked about obviously thyroid blood tests, the urine hormone, um, checking the hormones through the urine. Any other tests that you typically run? Um, there'll be some, so if we're talking about, um, miscarriage or if we're talking about fertility, there may be some other testing that would be worth doing. Um, I, I'm sure of course, if these women have had their pregnancies already, they've probably had ultrasounds before, but if this is for women that are just having difficulty getting pregnant, I do recommend getting a transvaginal ultrasound so that you can visualize the areas, um, in the, in the pelvic region to see if it's a if it's an issue with the structure or if it's truly some sort of hormonal issue. Um, so I do recommend getting uh, some sort of ultrasound done too, just to see also what the ovaries look like and what the uterus itself looks like. And that helps also um, with PCOS if you're seeing. Correct. Yes. Anything with that. So supplements. Yes. I'm a huge fan. Um, I don't really ever talk about that kind of stuff on this podcast. So I'm definitely going to let you take the lead. We touched on birth control, depleting B vitamins. Uh Oh my gosh, like basically an epidemic. So let's talk about um, supplementing with B vitamins. And you guys, disclaimer, this is not medical advice. Talk to your own provider. Um, Get in touch with Dr. Katie. Just a little disclaimer. But um, so B vitamins. And what else? What else are kind of those bulk of the fertility-based supplements, um, specifically for miscarriage? We're focusing on that right now. Yeah, so there's a number of things that we can do. Um, typically, and not always with, and not always with women, but typically with women, when we see miscarriages, it's oftentimes because they're not able to get their progesterone levels as high as they should be. Yeah. Since progesterone is what supports the pregnancy and what dominates the pregnancy, um, if they're not producing enough of that, that can definitely play a major role in not being able to hold, carry the pregnancy. So there are some ways that we can use natural hormones um, in the practice if we need to. And the reason I say natural is these aren't bioidentical. This is sometimes I think women confuse bioidentical to natural. So the natural form that I use, these come from plants, um, things like yam. So our body is able to recognize the hormones in these plants and properly process them because it's it's from food, foods that we've been eating for thousands of years, not yes. something that was created in a lab. Yep. Um, so that is something that I do offer to women as needed. Um, sometimes we'll do it topically. We can do different vaginal suppositories. Um, so there's different things that can help with that in terms of what each female specifically needs for her hormones. Um, some other things that I really try to focus on and we didn't really touch on, but I kind of wanted to talk about is how important it is to 
decrease our stress. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I know it's just easier said than done. It is. But stress can play a major, major role um, of inflammation in the body. Um, It can even contribute to a potential miscarriage if there's a lot of stress on our body. So the reason that I want to touch on this is so many of my patients that come into the office are so stressed all the time. Um, And most of them are female, so I see a lot of stress with that. And when we have a miscarriage, there's obviously a lot of stress and trauma associated with that as well. So trying to maintain lower stress levels is really important, even going into a pregnancy. So what can happen when we're under a lot of stress is this creates kind of this cascade in our brain of releasing a ton of different hormones that all basically increase um, inflammation in our body. So what can happen is once our body starts to release cortisol, which is the stress hormone, this sends a signal to our liver to produce glucose. So if we're under stress constantly, our body is going to try and constantly produce a lot of glucose because our body wants to use this glucose for energy. And in a fight or flight situation, that would be great if we were actually trying to run from something. But the problem is, is this, the day and age that we live in, we're getting stressed and having this production of glucose just sitting on our chairs or sitting in the car. So what that can do is that can start to create issues with insulin in the body. And if we're seeing issues with glucose and insulin, that can make it really, really difficult for the female to hold her pregnancy or to get pregnant. The reason being is once we start to see insulin resistance occur, it can actually um, affect ovulation and can prevent ovulation from occurring. If the female is already pregnant and we're seeing some of those same issues, then you can start to be concerned with things like gestational diabetes um, or other issues managing blood glucose or blood sugar levels. So one thing that I recommend to help keep uh, sugars down in terms of supplementation is something called inositol. And inositol, there's been a lot of research that's shown that it helps to decrease insulin and glucose levels, and it can also help to improve ovulation, so for women looking to get pregnant. But this is also important for women that are looking to uh, keep their sugars properly managed um, during pregnancy as well. And do you usually recommend that um, on its own or in combination, in a supplement combination with other things? Um, So that one is one that I typically prescribe on its own. If it is in something else, um, it can work as well too. But I usually just do that one on its own so we can kind of dose it a little bit on the higher end. Um, Research shows two grams per day can help to decrease insulin and glucose levels. Split up in multiple doses. throughout the day. Yeah. Um, another another um, supplement that's really great, and maybe some of you ladies have heard about this one before, is something called ashwagandha. I love uh, ashwagandha. One of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like it because it can help to support, uh, it can help with low thyroid function and can also help to support the adrenal glands. So I like to be able to give something natural, obviously, to the body that can help improve these things without being super aggressive and just giving thyroid hormones directly sometimes. Um, I, ch- I tend to kind of to treat more on the, I guess, conservative side, and I don't like to just be super aggressive with treatment because I think it can be overwhelming to the body, especially to a patient that's already coming in super inflamed and stressed. Um, so I like to start things usually on kind of the lesser end. Yeah, and ashwagandha is beautiful for that. Yeah, exactly. Love that. Um, another one that I often hear women talk about, and maybe you do too, is it sounds kind of silly, but it's really important to cut caffeine. Um, 
to especially one, if you're trying to get pregnant and two, it really helps to decrease your stress response by not having that caffeine. Um, if you're looking for something that provides that kind of is like drinking coffee in the morning, but you're not having the caffeine associated with it. Um, there's a company that I work with that provides a, like a tea and it's all, all of the, all of the, um, it's all adaptogens. So it has rhodiola, it has ashwagandha, it has, uh, uh, ginger. So there's all types of different things in there. Um, and the company's called Rasa, R-A-S-A. And that, that one's pretty great because uh, it's literally all just a, a, just adaptogen. So you don't have to worry about any caffeine being in that. And I believe it was created by an exhausted, burnt out mom who didn't yes, want to drink I caffeine. Believe you are correct. And yeah. it actually started here in Colorado. So ah, that's awesome. yeah, Boulder. So what other supplements are you keen on when someone has had a miscarriage or repeated miscarriages? So I also like to use omega-3 fatty acids. And yes. the reason I like so these important. is because they have such an anti-inflammatory effect on the body. Um, the really great thing about essential, or EFAs is they're also really, really good for fetal development. So when you are pregnant, getting those good fats to the baby is super, super important. So even taking the omegas prior to getting pregnant and during pregnancy is good for decreasing inflammation helping you to maintain healthy uh, lipid levels or healthy healthy fat levels. It will also help to increase your good fats if you're looking for that benefit as well. But it also is giving a lot of uh, good fat support to the development of the nervous system in the, in the fetus. So that's a really one of my favorite um, supplements to give to women looking to become pregnant, women that are pregnant, and it is safe to take during pregnancy. And we were talking about at the beginning that inflammation and the cytokine reaction, and this helps to temper all of that. Correct. Yes. So um, with omega fatty acids, I tend to recommend taking those kind of throughout the day rather than taking everything at once. Um, another way that you can help increase the, the amount of that in your body is also with the foods that you're eating. So uh, salmon is really high in omegas and is super anti-inflammatory. Um, a couple of other things that are also really anti-inflammatory and have a lot of uh, omega-3 fatty acids are sardines and anchovies. Um, so these little tiny fish uh, actually have a ton of protein and a ton of fats. They're really good for you. So those are some foods that you can implement into your diet for that benefit as well. Um, and another another uh, uh, herb that I would typically recommend to women, depending on what their hormone levels look like, of course, is uh, something called chase tree berry or Vitex is maybe what you've heard of it before. Um, so the Vitex or the chase tree can help to increase the production of LH from the brain, a luteinizing hormone. And this is what helps stimulate the ovaries to produce progesterone. So that can be how we can help to build those progesterone levels. Yeah, I really like that as a way to increase progesterone without adding progesterone. It kind of lets your body do it. It's a little gentler way, as exactly. I guess how I view it, um, to start with. Yes, love yeah. me some Vitex. Okay. <laughs> Any other supplements? Um, so base, other than that, um, I do get very specific when I'm working with patients depending on uh, what their complaints are. You Definitely. know, I, like I said earlier, I have some women that come in that have a lot of uh, gut issues. So we may talk about uh, different probiotics that may be more beneficial to them. Um, and with that being... When we're getting on the getting on the topic of probiotics, um, you do want to be careful when you're taking those because uh, depending on 
what your body looks like, you may you may kind of upset some of the normal gut flora in your body. So I do tell people to try and pay attention to how you feel if you're taking some sort of probiotic. If you have a lot of gut issues and the probiotics don't seem to be helping, then that definitely sounds like there's something else underlying going on. Um, so with that, I may use different antimicrobials um, to kill off different infections in the body. Um, if we're working with the thyroid, we may work, um, we may use some natural support to help increase thyroid production. Another supplement that's really good for the thyroid is called selenium. Um, selenium really helps the conversion of T4 into T3. So if we're seeing someone with a little bit of that lower thyroid function or maybe too, or too elevated reverse T3, giving them some selenium can kind of help shift that conversion from T4 to T3 instead of the T4 to reverse T3. So that can help support the thyroid conversion. Um, and also the B vitamins can help support thyroid conversion as well. So if you're someone that's taking the pill, I highly recommend getting on some sort of B complex. Absolutely. And after the fact. And exactly. For most people, just in general. Uh, let's Not touch too. on prenatal. Prenatal. So, Do you I recommend one? And is there a brand that you like best? Um, so I work with a company called Biotics Research, and I like to use their prenatal packs. Um, they're full of pretty much every vitamin and mineral that you would need. I typically recommend women to start taking their uh, prenatal at least six months prior to when you're trying to get pregnant. And the reason being is if you are deficient in some sort of vitamin, then taking this prenatal is going to help build those levels back up in your body rather than waiting until you become pregnant to start implementing some of those things. Um, so that's, that's why it's important to start taking that prior to. Um, and like I said earlier, I sometimes will even have women add an additional um, uh, EFA into that, and that's because it's such great support for the, uh, the baby as well as the mom. Yes, EFA are your omegas, everybody. Good. Key takeaways. Give us like, you know, two things to take yeah. away. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the most important things that I tell my patients is if you're someone that hasn't been feeling well and you get pregnant and you have a miscarriage, try to pinpoint when you didn't start to feel well. Oh, that's Maybe good. there's some sort of infection that happened that is that you didn't notice notice that you had until your body had this extra stress put on you to now support a growing human in your body. So it's a lot more stress on the body than before. And that may have kind of triggered this infection to either resurface or now that your body's under this much more stress, that could be why we're starting to see it show up. So don't not so kind of my take home with this is Look, look to more than just the sex hormones at times. It may not be just a sex hormone issue. There may be a, a further issue that's causing those sex hormones to not function properly to begin with. So definitely have your doctors evaluate your thyroid, um, like we had talked about with all of those different markers. Um, definitely look at your hormones as well, but don't forget to consider any other infectious component that may be um, at at play here. So that can be anything from chronic sinus issues to lung infections to gut infections to uh, chronic UTIs or even any type of STD. So how do they get in contact with you? How do we reach you? And just, is there a way to chat with you, um, you know, before making an appointment? I know that you do telemedicine as well. What does that entail? Yeah, so um, I do, if you, any of you are here in Colorado, you can 
actually come into the office and see me if you would like. But I do also practice telemedicine. And for those of you that don't know what that is, is kind of exactly what it sounds like. We uh, are able to talk to you about what your concerns are over the phone um, and kind of come up with a plan with you that way. So I'll kind of give you an idea of how a new patient appointment works. Um, I offer complimentary 15-minute phone consults to any new patient looking to join our practice, whether that's via telemedicine or in person. Um, the reason I like to do this is so that you have an opportunity to talk to me a little bit about what some of your concerns are prior to jumping into care. Um, there may be times that I say that I, I try to give you an idea of what I think I can do to help you at that time. Um, if I don't think that you're a right fit for our office or I don't think that it's something I can help you with, I will try to point you in the direction of somebody that can. That's another reason we do these consults is because I want to make sure that you're getting the best care that you can and maybe that's not from me. Um, maybe it is. But after that 15-minute consult, if the patient decides to move forward in care, our first appointment is 90 minutes. And that is 90 minutes whether you're in person or on the phone. The reason that we give such a long period of time is because you have so much health history that doesn't always get addressed in a typical doctor's appointment when you only have 10 minutes. And if you're someone that has had a miscarriage or you're struggling with fertility, there's a lot of other, there's a lot to talk about in that we can't really fit into 10 or 15 minutes. So in that 90 minutes, I may ask you questions all the way back to your childhood. I may even ask you what your periods were like when you first started, what your first period was like when you were a little girl, and how your periods were pretty much through your entire menstruating life until you got to the point that you're at today. Um, oftentimes people are surprised at the amount of questions that I ask, but it kind of helps paint me a picture as to why we're seeing the miscarriage begin with or why it's happening. So I like to ask a lot of questions at that time. Um, I'll even ask you about your GI health, um, your, your stress levels, your sleep, if you're having issues with weight. So we talk about all of those different types of things. Uh, my patients usually laugh because my intake paperwork is uh, it's, it's kind of long. <laughs> um, so as we get towards the end of that first appointment, I'll come up with a list of labs that I think are going to be best for you specifically. Um, I don't practice cookie cutter methods where I don't do protocols for people. And the reason I don't do that is because I think every person is different. So you should all be treated individually. So your testing may be different from you know the next person that comes in. But I come up with I come up with this specific testing plan that we'd like to see. Once all of those tests come back, we'll schedule another follow-up appointment. Um, and that one's typically about an hour long. And that's so I can go through your labs with you line by line and explain to you what everything means. And then that way, if you have questions on things, you can also ask me. Rather than me handing you your lab work back saying, it looks great, uh, you're healthy, good luck, I'm actually going to go through and explain and uh, answer questions as to why things look the way that they do. And then at the end of that appointment, we talk about treatment and kind of what our uh, plan is moving forward. So that would be the same for both the people that or the people that come into the office as well as the telemedicine patients. The only difference that we see with the telemedicine patients is I do ask you to have a primary doctor um, locally so that you can go and get examined by someone since I obviously cannot do that over the computer. Otherwise, we do everything um, pretty much exactly the same. It's mostly just a conversation back and forth. Um, we can do this either over the telephone or I can provide a video conferencing, whatever the patient prefers. So thorough. So thorough, you guys. Oh my gosh. So Instagram is all natural doc and somehow you only have like 
1500 followers you guys are you kidding me her information is insane the amount of information that she's giving you in each post absolutely you need to follow her and how else can they get in contact with you yeah so uh you can contact me on there and i can kind of help point you in the right direction uh you can also find us uh, on our website it's gatewaynaturalmedicine.com and you can also find us on Facebook. I believe our our name is uh, Drug Free Doctor on Facebook, or you can just search our page, Gateway Natural Medicine. Um, or if you want to call our office, our office phone number is 970-532-2755. And you can just speak with any of the girls up front, and they will help answer any questions you have regarding how telemedicine works, um, how the process of working with our practice kind of goes, and they'll help get you set up and so that you can talk to me. That's so good. And I will link all of those details um, so you guys, when you're listening. And, and there's a link for the 15-minute for the consult. We do have a link for that on our website. We're in the process of kind of revamping our website, and we're kind of making it so that people can eventually book their own appointments online. So we're not there quite yet, but kind of stay tuned for that. You may see that switch on our website soon. Oh, so millennial. I love it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Katie, for joining us today and sharing so much awesome, awesome information. Yes, thank you for having me. It was so great being able to help share and educate. And educating is one of my biggest passions. I love helping to explain to women why things are happening in the body the way that they are. It's something that I'm very passionate about. So I'm really excited that I was able to be on your podcast today. Thank you so much. Hey, you, stay connected. Find us on Instagram at Managing Miscarriage, on Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit. And don't forget to download the free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Please rate and review this podcast to help other women find us and consider sharing your story. Hang in there, mama.